Now hear the word of God from Deuteronomy 11. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I'm not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, He will give the rain to your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock. And you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him. Then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. 
Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun, the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oak of Morah? For you are to cross over the Jordan, to go in, to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I'm setting before you today. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that as we now turn to your word and to consider what you have said to us as we attend to the things that you have said that you would attend unto us by your spirit, that the things that you say to us would um, pierce into our hearts and our minds and our hearts, that you would direct our gaze toward your goodness and your grace and your promises fulfilled to us in and through Jesus Christ and that you would lead us in the way of life. We ask this in his name. Amen. Shouldn't it be easy to choose life? Shouldn't it be easy to choose what is good? I mean, think about it, right? If you have the choice between choosing something that is clearly good and is clearly life and is going to be good for you versus choosing something that is not good, that's going to bring destruction, that's going to bring harm, shouldn't that be easy? Why would anyone choose death? And yet we know it's not that simple. Some of us in here have experienced uh, addictions, um, whether that be something like drugs or alcohol or pornography or something like that. And we know it's not just so simple to choose life. We know that it is easy sometimes to actually choose and live into things that we know are going to bring destruction and harm to us and to people we love and to our lives. And all of us in here have struggles, we, we have pressures in our lives, things where we respond to hard things in our lives, and we find ourselves doing again and again things that we've said, I'm never going to do that again. I don't want to do that again. 
and then we do it. I think back to the years that I spent as a campus minister and the number of times that I sat with students, many of whom did not know the Bible hardly at all, and yet when we read the words of Romans 7, how true to experience they just sank in. Romans 7 where Paul writes, I do not understand my own actions. I don't do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. For the good that I want to do, I don't do. I do the evil. How do we choose life? One approach is to focus all of your attention on you, on your responsibility for yourself and your ability to change yourself, to to stop choosing the things that are bringing death and destruction to you and to choose the things that will bring life. If you've been in a discipleship group this past week, our study mentioned uh, two authors that take this sort of approach, Jordan Peterson, his book, 12 Rules for Life, and Rachel Hollis in her book, Girl, Wash Your Face. Uh, I'm going to quote Hollis here. Know this one great truth. You are in control of your own life. Stop beating yourself up. Stop letting others do it too. Stop accepting less than you deserve. Stop buying things that you can't afford to impress people you don't even really like. Stop. The answer comes from within you. It, com- it comes from you just knocking it off. Stop. Cut it out. God in the scriptures gives us something better. In Deuteronomy 11, Moses' goal is to motivate the people of Israel to choose life, to take hold of life, which is to take hold of God and to take hold of His commands and this way of life that God has laid out, this way of wisdom and fullness. And if you've been with us recently, a number of things have probably sounded familiar in this chapter because there's a lot of repeated themes from what Moses has said in chapter 6 through 10. But here, it's like Moses brings it all together in this closing section as he urges and pleads with the people to take hold of God, to love Him, and to choose life. But the way that they are going to do that, the way that Moses calls the people to choose life is not by looking in at themselves or pep-talking themselves into obedience. It's actually the opposite. He calls them to look outside of themselves to look to God, to consider God, what God has done and what God has promised to do. You may be here this morning as someone who believes in the God of the Bible. Uh, You may be here as someone who doesn't, but the Scriptures would have all of us see our lives through the lens that we, like the Israelites, we live in God's presence before His face Every moment of every day, we live in His story. And so our lives are to be oriented by the reality of this God before whom we live. And the thing that we need most to live into that is to see our lives from the vantage point of what God has done and what God has promised to do. What we could call His past grace and His future promised grace. And this is what Moses does in this passage. The people are called to choose life, to take hold of God, to trust Him today in light of His past grace and His promised future grace. So if you would, look with me at Deuteronomy 11. We're going we're to dig into this text. If you have it in front of you, that would be really helpful. I want us to first 
really see this uh, from Israel's perspective. So uh, past grace and future grace for Israel, and then to think about what this means for us. Deuteronomy 11, verse 1. What is going to help the people to love Yahweh and to keep His word? Verse 1. Verse 2. Consider today. Consider the discipline. Or that could also be translated lesson or education. Consider the education you get from looking at what God has done. Verses 3 through 7 Focus us on God's action. Each verse in 3 through 7 contains this phrase in Hebrew, what he did. So it's saying, consider Israel what you learned from watching God's salvation, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. Consider what Yahweh your God did to Egypt and to Pharaoh. Remember the plagues. Remember God's power that he showed. Remember his power over nature, his power over the other Egyptian gods. Consider what Yahweh your God did to the army of Egypt. Re- remember, you were on the banks of the Red Sea. You were hopeless. You, you had BB guns to tanks that were coming at you, and yet God destroyed them and delivered you. Consider what God did in the wilderness. Remember how he fed you with manna. Remember how he sustained your life. Verse 6, consider what Yahweh your God did to Dathan and Abiram. Numbers chapter 16. When they rebelled against Moses and his leadership, what does God do when his people are threatened, even from an enemy from within? The text says to us, The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them. You've seen again and again and again how God has saved you, how He has brought judgment on those who tried to threaten God's people or threaten His purposes in the world. Consider His deeds, His past grace to you. And what God has taught you through His past grace about His faithfulness and His goodness and His commitment. Consider that as well as you consider God's future grace, what He has promised to do. Verse 8 and following, God's purpose is that you, Israel, are going to go into this land that He promised to your fathers to give. Verse 10, this land is not like Egypt. From which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven. Here's the contrast. While Egypt was a land that had enough water for vegetation and for crops to grow, there was always this very distinctly clear human element to how it came about. There was effort needed to channel the waters from the Nile to irrigate. In fact, um, the phrase irrigated it in Hebrew literally is, you caused it to drink with your feet. Right? That, that sounds like work. That sounds like labor. It took human ingenuity and creativity and work and labor to get that water to go where it needed to go to do the crops. But here in this land that you're going over to possess this good land that God has given, verse 11, land which drinks water by the rain from heaven. 
This is a land that's dependent upon God. In a sense, every season of your life as an Israelite, it's being pressed upon you. Every agricultural season, which of course is not just agricultural, but it's economic as well, pressing upon you the faithfulness of God, His goodness, the abundance of your land. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from your labor. It doesn't come from your work. It doesn't come from your ingenuity. It comes as a gift of His grace. Verse 12, it's a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from beginning of year to the end of year. It is in this land, verse 14, notice the language of give, this language of gift, that God will give the rain for the land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your feeds for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. This land is to constantly remind you, Israel, that you need the Lord, that you're dependent on Him, that He is good, that He is going to give you what you need. But it's not just the the land itself, it's actually the way that the people come into the land that's going to confirm this future promised grace. Verse 23 through 25, nations far greater than you are going to be driven out. Nations that you should be terrified are going to be in terror because of you, because of Yahweh. Do you see how Moses is trying to orient them as they make this very important decision if they're going to take hold of God, if they're going to take hold of life? It's God's past grace reminding them, educating them of who God is, of what He has done, of His strength, of His power, of His goodness. It's the future grace of God promised to them that is orienting them to trust and faith and hope. Consider your God, Israel. Now, what will you do with it? What will you do with it today? Notice the urgency in the passage. Verse 2. Consider today. Verse 8, therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today. Verse 13, today. Verse 26, see I'm setting before you today this choice, blessing or curse. Verse 27, 28, and 32, today. What are you going to do with Yahweh today? right now. What will each generation do with Yahweh? Because you will do something with Him. You will either live today in light of what He has done and what He has promised, and you will live these lives oriented by His past grace and His future grace, entrusting yourself to Him, or you will forget God. And all of the good things that He has given you will be used to turn away and to build a life based on other gods and trusting them. Because this life of faith is something that always has to be lived today, we see that Moses calls the people to live this way of life, this, this life of faith personally and communally, where they're to keep God and everything that God has done before them. So we see verse 18 and following. 
You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you are walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why? That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. As long as the heavens are above the earth, this gift of grace is always held out for the people, but each generation has to take hold of it and take hold of God. And the importance and the urgency of this, of taking hold of God, of loving Him, and of walking with Him, it's pictured for the people by these two mountains when they come into the land. We read in verse 29, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it. You shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim, the scholars say, was a mountain that was just lush with vegetation and, and green and flourishing and, and beautiful, and Mount Ebal was dry and barren. And these two mountains were a continual, perpetual reminder to the people of Israel of the choice that lay before them, the choice that lay before them day after day, season after season, generation after generation, of taking hold of the God of life and walking in the way of His commands and loving Him and knowing Him, or choosing the way of death. What about us? There's a lot in this text that is similar to where we are. Even though we, we are further along in God's redemptive story, there's a lot that is similar here about where we live in this space, in this world, as we take hold of the God of, of life, and we do this as we are oriented by His past grace to us and His future promised grace, and yet there is a real significant difference as well, because we have a far greater knowledge of who this God is and what He has done. And in Jesus, we have a far greater salvation than Moses and the Israelites knew. And in Jesus, we have the fullness of God's grace given to us. The New Testament book of Hebrews puts it this way, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets like Moses. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, the Son who came into the world, shining forth the glory of God and showing what God is like with utter perfection, the Son who made purification for our sins by His death. That the book of Hebrews repeatedly talks about how He is now seated he gave the ultimate sacrifice and then he sat down, something that the priests in the Old Covenant never did because their work was always ongoing. There was always more sacrifices to do day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Jesus is seated because it's finished. And like Deuteronomy 11, the book of Hebrews calls us to act now, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 
We must fix our eyes on Jesus and God's grace to us in Jesus, lest we drift away from it. We must not neglect such a great salvation, but rather embrace Jesus and cling to Him and be changed by Him because God's grace is meant to change and transform us. Last night, I was, I was thinking about this passage. Obviously, I was, I was kind of doing like final prep, and I, remember, I remembered a specific story that really connected to this. One of my good friends uh, from seminary, um, when I met him, you know, we were just two grad school students that were studying to do the ministry. Um, his life, years, about a decade before I knew him, when he was a teenager, was almost completely destroyed by um, an addiction to drugs. My friend had, uh, as a teenager, started experimenting with drugs, and he got addicted to heroin. And as he tells it, um, he did some pretty awful things as a heroin addict. He hurt people that he loved. He lied to his parents. He lied to people who cared about him. He stole. The thing that really broke him, the thing that started to reorient him and to change him, was this experience where he stole his brother's guitar and he pawned it for drug money, and his brother found the receipt in the driveway. He confronted him, and my friend was almost immediately just devastated by it, and then he took him to the pawn shop, and he bought the guitar back at full price. And that's what broke him. The costly love of forgiveness and redemption. We only rightly understand our sin when we realize that we have not merely just broken some laws, but we have violated our relationship with God. That we have violated God's glory, that we have fallen short of living for Him and acknowledging Him and loving Him with all that we have because all that we have is from Him and it's to be enjoyed in relationship with Him, and rather we've taken those things and we've used them to bring destruction to ourselves and to others. And though the debt of our sin is more than we could ever imagine, God Himself pays the full price, but not with money, with His life, with His blood. And if that's true, that has to move us to take hold of this God and to love Him and to walk with Him. The way Peter puts it in 2 Peter 1, he says, basically, if you are a believer who is struggling to love God and grow as a follower of Jesus, it's because you've forgotten the gospel. It's because you've become blind to God's past grace to you that you have been cleansed. You've become so nearsighted that you've become blind to the reality that you live in, that this doesn't matter anymore, that it doesn't feel relevant, that it doesn't move you. But it's not just past grace, it's also future grace for us. Because if you've trusted in Jesus, you know that God who began this work in you is going to bring it to completion, that we await the coming again of Jesus. We await the resurrection from the dead, the new heavens and the new earth, 
where Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and all things will be made new. 1 John chapter 3, John writes this, We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. We will be transformed when we see him. And then John writes this, All who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. Hope in God's future grace purifies and transforms us now. This is the space in which we are to live our lives, in this space between God's past grace to us and the promised future grace that is coming. And just like the Israelites, we need to work this out in community because it is so easy to forget. I was really encouraged recently, um, we talked about a year ago as a staff of this idea of taking a group of people on an equipping retreat. And we did the first kind of beta test um, a few weeks ago with a group and we're planning on doing it again. The content of our discussions was similar to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We were digging into what does it look like to change? What does biblical change look like? Which is to say, how do we choose life? How do we take hold of God in light of all that God has done? What he has done for us in the past, what he has promised to do for us in the future. And honestly, one of my favorite parts of our time together was toward the end of the weekend when we were just, we were just talking and we were, we were sharing and we were praying and we were sharing with one another how do we connect our lives our opportunities, our struggles, our hard things with who God is. And as we were just discussing that and praying for one another and sharing, there was this strong sense of mutual encouragement and strengthening as we did it together. And as I think about this text and I think about our lives, I think one thing it tells us is we need as many touch points with each other as possible. We need daily and weekly reminders to keep the reality of what God has done and what God has promised to do before our eyes that we might be hit with it personally and communally and intergenerationally. We need worship. We need this. Like week after week, we all need this. You need this. I need this. We need to sing together. We need to confess what is true. We need to hear the scriptures. We need spaces where we can connect and build friendships like a community group. We need things like discipleship groups. I have so loved, I often have not been a part of a discipleship group because I'm doing this other thing. Some of you know I do this thing called spiritual conversations. I have been a part of a discipleship group and I, shout out to Wednesday night group, like our group is awesome and it is so helpful to dig in and be oriented to God's grace together. I think about other things that we see in this passage. While we don't have mountains, you know, that hold out the importance of of this choice before us, we actually have something far better because every single week we come to this table where we are reminded as we eat the bread and we drink the cup that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. 
Each week as we come to this table, we are reminded that Jesus bore the curse for us. We are reminded that he drank the cup of wrath, that we might drink the cup of blessing. We are reminded of God's past grace to us, how all of our sins have been gloriously forgiven, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we also are reminded of God's future promised grace to us that we will feast in the house of Zion, that we will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb, that we will feast in the new heavens and the new earth, and that this is where God is taking us. And friends, this is how we choose life. This is how we change. This is how we take hold of the God of life knowing Him, loving Him, and walking with Him. We don't look in and will it. We look out and we trust Him. And we do this together as we look at His past grace, as we look at His future grace, as we help one another to see this together as a community. This is how the love and the grace of God become real and tangible, and we begin to discover at greater and greater depths this is really true.